Hello and welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen, joined by Matt, uh, Tim, and joining the podcast for the second time, um, Brent Christensen. Thanks for joining us again. Pleasure, Carl. Always good to see you and your team. Well, thank you. So last time we discussed um, Taiwan, as you obviously had a lot of familiarity and expertise in that area. Tonight we're going to be taking on um, the International uh, Civil Aviation Organization, which I was unfamiliar with prior to you telling me about. So this will be a learning experience for all of us. And uh, I'm excited to, to learn a little bit about what you're what you're doing now. Uh, just for the, the, like I said, the lay audience out there, this might be the first time they've ever heard of the ICAO. Um, can you tell us a little bit of the history, how long it's been around? Uh, well, it's a, um, ICAO, as I think I mentioned to you, um, in our earlier conversation is one of the most important uh, organizations that you've never heard of. Um, it was established uh, through the Chicago Convention in 1944. The United States, it was really um, at the, uh, the, well, it was the inspiration of the, uh, uh, of FDR's administration to invite uh, representatives from the civil aviation organizations of 53 countries and two two countries or two governments in exile to Chicago in the fall of 1944 to put together a civil aviation organization because uh, uh, the uh, the United States recognized that civil aviation would be an important part of post-war world and they needed to have a an organization that could could manage and set standards for uh, for that organization. I don't think uh, people today um, really recognize just how important it is to have such an organization. It's because of uh, of ICAO, civil civil aviation uh, has become uh, safe, convenient, and relatively affordable. Uh, it's become quite routine, actually, for uh, you know, air passengers to uh, board a flight, uh, fly at altitudes of around six miles, that's like 30,000 feet, uh, across half the world in less than uh, a day, and uh, to visit family and friends, or go to conferences, um, just or maybe just go to a track meet or something like that. Uh, but people rarely think about the safety of air travel, just the inconvenience. Uh, but in fact, because of IKEA standards and protocols, uh, people don't have to worry too much about safety. Uh, air travel today is, it, accidents happen very rarely. Millions of people fly every, uh, every year and uh, rarely have any safety problems. Uh, and it's much safer, safer than driving a car, for example. Yeah, so that's, it's been around for quite a while, which I hadn't recognized. Um, and right, safety-wise, obviously, most laymen don't think about the roles of the organizations. Um, ICAO, is that how we're saying, how, how it's pronounced, ICAO? ICAO, yes. Okay. I, so ICAO, I, in my reading, since we, we since you told me about it, um, it has a role in the United Nations. So this is uh, an organization backed by the UN, correct? 
Uh, yes, it's one of the uh, 15 technical agencies uh, in the UN family, like uh, WHO, World Health Organization, or the International Telecommunications Union, or the World Intellectual Property Organization. These are organizations that have very specific uh, missions and establish uh, sort of standards uh, around the world uh, or for, for, for the, uh, the global community. Uh, for example, uh, ITU establishes all of, the, all, of the, all of the standards for interoperability of, uh, of telecommunications. Without this organization, uh, it would be very difficult for um, countries to communicate with each other. Okay, and could I ask a question uh, from that? If it's uh, if it's kind of under the umbrella of the United Nations, um, is it then are the standards and protocols of ICAO uh, limited to United Nations countries, or are they you know are they practiced even you know in in nations and countries outside of of uh, the UN's influence? Uh, a good question, uh, Tim, but um, in fact, um, all of the countries in the world actually are signatories to uh, the Chicago Convention. So um, with the exception of, I think, Kosovo and uh, Taiwan and maybe other places that are not recognized by anybody like uh, Somaliland. So they all... Okay. By signing the Chicago Convention, they have agreed to follow the standards and protocols of ICAO that ICAO established. Okay, and so as a UN-backed organization, as an organization that has international uh, power and sway, what is America's role? So you're a longtime U.S. diplomat. Um, what uh, what does your role, or, or what is America's role in the uh, ICAO look like? Uh, well, as I indicated earlier, uh, this really was uh, America's idea. Uh, so what America's role, uh, we um, were in 1944. Um, well, actually, the, just, to, just to amend something, the organization didn't actually come into, uh, formally come into being until 1947, when over half of the original signatories had ratified the, uh, the convention. Anyway, but... In 1947, the United States was the premier air power worldwide, and we are still the uh, most important air power worldwide. So we have a big, uh, um, a big role, uh, a big influence in the way the uh, the institution operates. Um, we uh, occupy one of the 36 seats on the governing governing council. Uh, rather, I sit in one of, in. in and representing the United States, I sit in one of those 36 seats. And we cover about 20% of the uh, of ICAO's budget. Uh, so uh, in terms of, of, uh, of our influence, no one has more influence uh, in ICAO than we do. I would say so, actually most of the standards and practices of ICAO were first sort of established or pioneered by the United States and then were later adopted by other countries. So I, I guess maybe a, a question that, and, and I know this is later in, in our list, but maybe one to talk about 
leading into that is, you know, with the, the role of the U.S. in setting these standards, and, and we've talked a little bit about how the ICAO is a standard-setting community. Can you talk a little bit more about the specific standards for which ICAO is responsible? Um, obviously, some of the hint is in the name, civil aviation, but, you know, practically for the layman pilot, for example, what, what does that mean? Well, um, it, it establishes, it's established all the, all the, shall we say, ground rules for uh, international uh, uh, regulation of, um, of manufacture of aircraft, the, the, uh, the air, certifying the airworthiness of aircraft, uh, the, uh, the way uh, airports manage uh, aircraft and um, uh, all of the air navigation systems uh, that are standardized, all the air traffic control uh, operators around the world have to follow ICAO standards. Uh, accident investigations have to follow ICAO standards. So um, largely because of, because of uh, ICAO, it takes a very long time uh, for an aircraft to be certified Again, it has to be inspected constantly according to ICAO standards. Like, like a new type of aircraft. Right, yes. And of course, uh, uh, pilots also have to, uh, have to be trained according to ICAO standards. So uh, ICAO is uh, essentially dictating uh, a lot of the rules that uh, the world civilization uh, industry has to, has to follow. Uh, I think some uh, some countries, some companies uh, shape at some of these some of these rules, uh, but uh, it ultimately, you know, the results speak for themselves. It's a it's a very very safe industry. Yeah, it's it's it seems that it's based around giving the consumer confidence that no matter what type of airplane you get, you board in whatever country with whatever pilots they're all going to meet certain safety and, and competence and ability standards. Right, exactly. And that is wonderful. Having done a little bit of international travel myself, I'm grateful that I don't get on a plane wondering if it's going to drop out of the sky. So um, now you've mentioned a lot of standards and safety, both at the airport and the pilot level. The layman is aware, uh, I think, I'm really familiar with that those things exist potentially, but their their familiarity with uh, flight safety is generally, you know, pre-flight safety. It's the TSA. It's the uh, taking off their shoes or their belt or whatever. What what kind of uh, say does ICAO have in pre-flight um, safety measures? Well, as I said, ICAO essentially establishes all of the safety protocols that airlines follow, and. Uh, TSA, of course, uh, also has to follow ICAO standards. Um, so I would say that, uh, uh, I guess, your yes or no question to or answer to your question is yes. Okay. And now I have seen, like I said, I've done some international travel, not a significant amount of international travel. Um, the flight safety. Um, protocol in the United States seems to be slightly different um, than that. I, that I, I went to Italy this last summer. Um, 
so I, I'm, I'm guessing there are minimum standards that ICAO then sets for pre-flight pre safety and, and countries can add whatever individual safety protocol they would like to. Uh, yes, well, in fact, uh, the uh, ICAO conducts periodic audits of uh, the safety conditions of, of airports and airlines. Uh, it's called the Universal Safety Oversight Program, or USO. And uh, so um, it is true that some countries have uh, somewhat different approach. To um, I just want to tease so some of our audience. Um, the, your predecessor in the position that you're currently in is, is, is someone that I think most of the laymen are familiar with. And we're going to just chat briefly about who that was and whether or not you had any interactions with him at the end of the episode. So you might want to stick around for that. Okay. Um, you just mentioned that the ICAO uh, has, uh, they do in inspections or, or um, so what kind of powers does ICAO have? Oh, sorry, what was that? Audits. They call them audits. Audits. Okay. It's so you have teams that, that do that specifically, that go into airports or, or go into wherever and, and uh, make sure that the standards are being enforced. Uh, right, right. Well, I mean, um, ICAO, uh, as I said, sets the world standards and as um, signatories to the Chicago Convention, all of the member countries have pledged to uh, comply with those standards. Uh, ICAO doesn't have really, but ICAO doesn't really have the uh, ability to sanction uh, or, or issue penalties to, uh, to member countries that are not in full compliance. Uh, but it will issue um, warnings of potential uh, dangers or safety concerns. They call them, uh, in the case of a, of a country, they call them a significant safety concern or an SSC. Um, which will uh, have a big impact on uh, people's uh, willingness to, say, fly to certain countries or to fly on certain airlines or fly on certain aircraft. So um, I think that's a, that, that in itself is a pretty significant, um, it's not, it's not a, uh, uh, an explicit ability to manage um, the aviation operations of any specific country, but if they, uh, if the countries or their airlines are not in compliance with these uh, standards, then um, um, ICAO will let the world know. Yeah, it'd be like going to eat at a restaurant that's kind of failed its health inspection. I ah. mean, you can do it, but why, that's though? That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. And where where would uh, the layman see this ICAO, um, you know, notification or, or or warning about a particular country or uh, you know what where where would they get this information? Um, I think uh, it would be issued on uh, you know through the civil aviation organizations of the uh, of, of the country like the United States. I think. Uh, uh, if there were such um, such concerns, uh, probably the State Department would include that on their uh, travel advisories. Okay. Example, I think word would get around. Okay. So would report it. I'm almost certain it would come up in your favorite podcast. <laughs> Indeed. Frequently. Um, 
Okay, so like jumping slightly ahead here, but I think along the line that we're talking about right now. So states, uh, nation states that are non-compliant with a particular ICAO standard, um, there is no implication as far as international flights being canceled or or relationships between countries as far as you know flight travel um, being cut off. It would just be a a warning that. If you're flying from, you know, a particular country that does not implement the standards, there's a, a heightened risk of, uh, of, you know, some type of disaster or, or at least, you know, some type of malfunction. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Well, I think uh, on a uh, bilateral basis, uh, many countries would be unwilling to uh, have a air services agreement with a, a country that was not complying with ICAO standards. So, in fact, those countries uh, or the, the uh, uh, aircraft from that country would uh, would not be allowed to, to land fly in their, their airspace. Are there, I don't I mean, maybe this isn't a question that, that we can answer on this podcast, but are there sta- nation states right now that are not, that are not ICAO compliant, that are not, uh, that I, I, you couldn't, I can't, we can't fly to? Um, Russia actually is the is the uh, the one country at this point that uh, uh, has, I mean, the sanctions that have been issued against uh, uh, Russia, uh, they're not they've not been issued by ICAO, but uh, there is a ban on on uh, uh, Russian aircraft or Russian airlines traveling to most of the uh, well, for a good part of the world, um, and. Other countries that um, uh, where these aircraft continue to fly, I think on a, uh, certain of them have uh, maybe declined to uh, have these airlines continue to service their markets because uh, the ICAO actually has has issued a significant safety concern for the uh, many of um, many of these airlines um, or all of the Russian airlines because they are operating. Uh, aircraft that uh, uh, that ICAO cannot be cannot be confident have um, have been properly serviced or inspected. Uh, all of the uh, Airbus and Boeing aircraft, for example, uh, that Russia operates um, can't get spare parts to uh, to maintain them. So many of these aircraft, or most of them, I suppose, are probably operating on on uh, with equipment that has uh, is no longer meets airworthiness standards. Okay, so I, I'm just remembering uh, my one visit to uh, to Russia in 2003. I was flying on an Aeroflot aircraft. It was a Russian aircraft, uh, as a matter of fact. And um, as we touched down, everyone applauded, which uh, I, I found really quite. Uh, as if, as if somehow that was remarkable. <laughs> Successful plane. landing this time, guys. That's <laughs> yeah, not not usually a good sign. Um, okay, uh, let's let's talk about. So I sorry, I did at the beginning of the podcast. I didn't give you you. I talked about the fact that you have expertise in you know diplomacy and and Taiwan, but you also were in the Air Force. Uh, I 
a while ago. <laughs> so you have uh, you have a background in aviation and and a familiarity with aircraft in general as well. Uh, yes, and actually, uh, in one of my earlier assignments in Beijing, I covered civil aviation uh, back in the early nineties when uh, China's civil aviation uh, uh, system was really uh, taking off, shall we say, in a big way. Um, you know, the proliferation of airlines, uh, big expansion in, in routes, and um, and the FAA had a very uh, active um, relationship with uh, with China and and helping to certify their aircraft and uh, and helping them get their some of these systems going. Uh, one of the few areas where actually we had a very good relationship following that Tiananmen incident in 1989. And many of those sanctions uh, still were in place uh, when I was there. Wow. Okay. Um, so I, then you have a you have a quite a history in in uh, in civil aviation and and dealing with it. And there in I guess in the last thirty uh, forty years there have been a few international flight disasters. And I'm just wondering. So specifically, the one I put on the list of things we were going to talk about was Mal the Ma Malaysian's airline flight. But there have been a couple other um, disastrous uh, international flights. That uh, what does ICAO do in uh, what is their role one, uh, in a flight disaster? Is there a team that investigates, uh, or what? Uh, what does the process look like? Uh, the U.S. Uh, or rather, ICAO generally uh, becomes involved in. In the investigations, uh, they have they set set the standards for for these uh, uh, disasters. Uh, you know, the one I think that you were may have been referring to, MH, uh, or rather, uh, the Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. Uh, after that flight disappeared, uh, ICAO convened a special meeting uh, to establish a new protocol for uh, global tracking of airline flights. So that uh, when flights uh, went, shall we say, uh, departed from their established uh, or their their announced uh, flight plans, that uh, um, the aviation authorities could could track them more easily. They, they this involved uh, improved uh, radar uh, systems or or uh, tracking uh, protocols. So. Um, that was that was one thing that ICAO did. Normally, they would, of course, uh, been involved in the uh, investigation of the uh, of, of the accident that uh, everyone presumes occurred. Although uh, I think they've they've only in recent years uh, identified pieces from that aircraft uh, floating around in the Indian Ocean. Okay. Um in you mentioned that so the ICAO convened a, co a conference and talked about better tracking of, of flights is it is it the case that ICAO now has a standard that will make it so that that you know uh, flight 370 that type of scenario never happens again uh well i don't think we can uh, be assured that that will never happen again because uh, not a, i don't i don't think anyone knows precisely what happened uh but uh I think with every one of these um, incidents or accidents, uh, ICAO reviews uh, the procedures and tries to improve them so that um, you know they raise the raise the bar of, of, of the safety standards. 
it's been, uh, as I said, the uh, um, when you consider the number of uh, passengers that, that travel uh, on flights internationally or domestically, it's it's really quite remarkable that uh, there are so few accidents. Yeah, it is. It is quite remarkable, and I think it probably needs. Uh, it is. I don't know what it is about the layman getting on a plane somehow seems scary, whereas getting in your own car seems safe. When I mean by the numbers, it should be the flip. Uh, getting on a plane, you should feel entirely safe, and getting in your car, you should question uh, your own ability. Right. Right. Do you have an option of flying or driving? Flying is always a better idea. Right. Right. Um, okay, so I think you've kind of already addressed this, but I maybe a little bit more specificity. So when ICAO does um, implement standards, and are they working directly with the government, or are they uh, dealing with you know the manufacturers directly? Are they going directly into the businesses and saying here are our standards, or, or do they hand it to the governments and let the government, uh, the different states, deal with the implementation? Uh, no, they work directly with. Uh with businesses all the time, uh, either with the businesses, uh, with, with specific businesses. I mean, they certainly have a, uh, a close working relationship with the uh, Airbus, Boeing, uh, Pratt & Whitney, other uh, air, aircraft or manufacturers or, or the manufacturers of, of, uh, of engines or avionics or other such systems. But um, most of that contact is actually through industry organizations. There's uh, there are several uh, that are are especially uh, connected to what uh, ICAO is doing, um, and often uh, some of these uh, or often the protocols and policies are uh, are developed or are recommended from these industry organizations, like uh, IATA, which is the uh, International Air Transport. Association. Every uh, airline in the world belongs to uh, to IATA, and then they have uh, you know country specific uh, subordinate organizations like uh, A4A, which is the uh, Airlines for America, which is the American um, Airline Association. Uh, ACI Airports, uh, the Airports Council International, uh, also works with ICAO on you know airport standards. Uh, and then there's the uh, ICCAIA, which is the International Coordinating Co Council of Aerospace Industries Associations, uh, which is composed of all of the, uh, the associations and companies that, that, that make um, aviation-related products, like planes, engines, things like that. Okay. So... There's a lot more organizations involved here than I was ever aware of, which I guess, once again, this is called Learn It From a Layman because I'm usually talking. But um, <laughs> the, the uh, I guess my my last question then is, all these different organizations, ICAO, what specific uh, initiatives is ICAO doing right now? What issues um, are trying to be implemented or, or worked with uh, at the uh, at that level? Um, well, it's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, in the first decades of uh, ICAO, they primarily were focused on safety issues. Uh, then 9-11 occurred and suddenly they were, uh, became very focused on security concerns. 
but these days, uh, a new uh, priority, not necessarily the top priority since all of these are, are important, but a new priority is, uh, is the environment. Um, you probably have heard that uh, civil aviation produces a lot of CO2 emissions. It's about two to three percent of the uh, world total, which is, you know, not a huge number, but it's still uh, something that uh, needs attention. And last year, um, the ICAO uh, Assembly approved a long-term aspirational goal, or LTAG, as, as it's known in uh, as an acronym, uh, to decarbonize civil aviation by the year 2050. So uh, this fall uh, in November, um, unfortunately, uh, during the uh, Thanksgiving week, uh, ICAO member states will be meeting in uh, Dubai in the uh, United Arab Emirates to work out uh, some protocols for developing uh, sustainable aviation fuel, which is really the, the key to decarbonizing uh, aviation. So um, another priority is um, uh, it continues to be security of aviation. Um, uh, another priority right now is uh, um, trying to strengthen the, uh, the national treatment uh, standards so that um, um, there's been a, in, in recent years, there's been a bit of an erosion in, in this uh, commitment that member states uh, not charge uh, other member states for um, or, or, or make um, uh, or issue uh, unreasonable charges for air navigation services they provide, like uh, like overflight services. Um, so these are these are just a couple of them. The more specific uh, kind of priorities for the institution itself are uh, the council, are the um, uh, secretary general's uh, reform and modernization agenda. Uh, he had a fair amount of cleanup to do from his predecessor. We'll not go into the details of what happened, but uh, it was not a not a happy time for the organization, and also. Uh, the sustainable budgeting uh, for ICAO, because uh, since 2019, ICAO has been operating on a zero nominal growth budget, which means that uh, every year since then, uh, they have not had any way to compensate for uh, uh, inflation. So they're looking for other funding options. Okay, I've got two follow-up questions about the, the things, the just issues that you said that we were just working on. Um, the first one was you talked about the fuel, um, sustainable fuel and a zero carbon footprint for uh, civil aviation by, I think you said 2050. Um, right. I have like, I, I'm aware that, that obviously, you know, the carbon footprint of, of flights is a, you know, a thing that, that uh, but are we talking about, so, a completely transformative, like uh, going using solar panels on planes. Are we talking making? Uh, you said a, a different type of fuel. Is that? Um, I, I guess is this technology exists and we're trying to implement it, or is is the technology not yet? Does the technology not yet exist? Uh, the technology exists. It's just difficult to uh, to scale it up to uh, the quantity that. It that needs to uh, to be there, uh, and also uh, it's much more costly than uh, 
it's, it's like three to four times the cost of, of normal jet fuel. Um, Is so, that cost a function of its current scalability, or? Uh, it's actually a the kind of the, it's a function of, of the technology. Um, and it, it would not surprise uh, someone uh, like you, uh, Matt, who, who knows a thing or two about uh, aviation, uh, to learn that um, uh, low carbon aviation fuel is uh, seems like a contradiction in terms. Um, but there are certain uh, there are certain technologies that exist for making uh, these kinds of fuels, but it, it tends to be expensive, and you have to use uh, a lot of biofuel uh, feedstocks, and uh, you know there are limitations on how much of uh, that feedstock uh, exists. So it's a it's a bit of a challenge, yeah. and then of course you have to have you have to have uh, aircraft that can. Uh, can use this uh, fuel because uh, if you exceed like 50 percent of the uh, of, of if you if you use sustainable air uh, aviation fuel for more than 50 percent of the total, it makes the seals in the uh, in the, uh, the engines break down. So uh, that's probably that's a problem they haven't addressed quite yet. Hmm. So we just need ICAO to mandate better seals. Uh, well, the, there are there are ways of doing that. It's just that uh, technology is going to be one of the answers. But the biggest, more immediate, uh, uh, or the most important way of addressing this concern in the near term is uh, sustainable aviation fuel, also yeah. known as SAF, for the for the uh, you know SAF for those who are in know. So, and I say it kind of in jest, you know, just make better seals, but I, I kind of, the more I think about it, the more I, if we do come out with IKO guidelines for the ways to make sustainable fuel be a thing across the civil aviation industry, I would assume that there would be a reflection in some of the safety guidelines for the the components to include the fuel seals of aircraft that are going to have to use this fuel. And that actually may end up as part of an ICAO standard going forward. You know, your seals have to be able to withstand this type of stuff for X amount of hours and be rotated with Y frequency or something like that. Is that reasonable to expect? Uh, it is reasonable to expect, but I don't know anything more about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you've got till I think, what did you say, 2050 to, to get everything? Got some time. Yeah, right, I think, yeah. I think uh, uh, that level of uh, SAF in the system uh, is unlikely before like 2040, so not to worry. Okay. Okay. Okay, then my other follow-up question, you mentioned um, IKO's uh, funding, essentially. Is it the um, as a uh, UN uh, uh, the nation states do all contribute into ICAO? Uh, where does the funding come from, and how do you raise funds? Um, a lot of it is based on um, you know the aviation activity of the member states, um, and to some degree, kind of historical uh, reasons, um, but. You know, most of the, uh, I'd say 90% of the, uh, the funding for RKO, uh, it comes from uh, uh, member state assessments. 
Um, and uh, ICAO uh, some years ago agreed to a um, nominal growth budget. But in the meantime, they, they, they do generate some uh, income from uh, technical assistance projects to, uh, to you know, various developing countries. And uh, there is some, uh, some discussion that possibly there would be, um, you know, ways to, to um, um, generate additional funding through maybe a tiny charge on uh, aviation fares or, uh, uh, or airline fares or, or industry involvement, greater industry involvement. But anyway, it's still sort of um, under consideration. But we have to do okay. something because, uh, you know, ICAO has been doing uh, more with less, but eventually you just end up doing less with less. Yeah, and it seems like something that the public, I mean, if they understood, which they rarely do, but if the public understood the- uh, That's the why we're here, which, Carl. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing here. Uh, a degree to which ICAO does ensure flight safety that, I mean, everyone is willing to pay a little more, I think, to make sure that when you step on the plane, you can have confidence that you're going to step off the plane where you, you intend to step off the plane. Uh, well, yes, one would think so. But uh, as uh, we discussed at the beginning of our discussion today, uh, very few people actually know that of the existence of ICAO. So it's hard to build advocacy for an organization people don't know about. That's true. Um, okay, so uh, last question I have for you, um, and then maybe Matt has a follow-up one here as well, but so your predecessor in, in your current role um, may or may not have uh, had Tom Hanks play him in a major motion picture. Um, he, did. he did. In fact, <laughs> the, uh, the, the film was called Sully, uh, and uh, Tom Hanks did portray um, Sully Sullenberger. And in fact, uh, the film itself was made by Clint Eastwood. So uh, it's, it's a pretty good film, actually. Yeah. Did you get to meet Captain Sully then? Uh, no. No, I didn't. Uh, I, uh, he was long gone by the time I got there. Um, mm. In fact, uh, it was uh, uh, because of his rather abrupt departure uh, that the State Department asked me to uh, step in and uh, become the charge uh, okay. in his place at, uh, on the council. I was going to ask you then what you know your current your position and and how it's usually filled. So it's a a, a U.S. diplomatic position, and is that correct? It is usually. I mean, uh, uh, Captain Sullenberger uh, or Ambassador Sullenberger had the uh, had ambassadorial uh, had the ambassadorial title, uh, and was um, um, and so. I am, uh, as a career diplomat, um, I'm, I'm uh, the chargé d'affaires, or this French for the guy who is in charge of things um, in, the, in, the, in the meantime. Uh, but the, uh, uh, traditionally, the uh, ambassadorship to ICAO has been filled by a political um, appointment. And uh, so 
uh, this is probably not something that you have uh, noticed, but um, there is a new nomination, our new nominee uh, that has uh, that is currently uh, in the Senate uh, for confirmation uh, to become the uh, the next ambassador to ICAO. Uh, that's uh, Charlie Crist, the former governor of Florida. Uh, you may uh, know him for having uh, uh, lost the gubernatorial race in uh, uh, 2022 against uh, Ron DeSantis. So anyway, he um, he was nominated in June, and uh, we expect that he will probably have a hearing and uh, some time, you know, in, in the fall, and will be confirmed uh, by the Senate, and then he will come to ICAO and be the U.S. representative. Okay. And does he, does Mr. Christ have a background in aviation as well? I mean, we know his, his government background, but does he have uh, familiarity with civil aviation? Uh, not really. Oh. Okay. Not, not I as, mean, it's, uh, so are you going to be able to get face-to-face uh, uh, -face and do some offloading of, of uh, information to him? Uh, I've had a couple of uh, Zoom calls with him. So, uh, okay. And he's getting briefings in Washington uh, from all the uh, from FAA, State Department, and others uh, about you know key issues. So he'll he'll be uh, I think he'll be well prepared for his uh, uh, his hearing. Traditionally, um, former members of Congress, as he once was, uh, they they don't have too much trouble getting through these uh, uh, Senate hearings. So. I expect it will probably be a fairly smooth process. Sounds great. Um, Matt, did you have any questions before we uh, sign off here? Uh, no, I think we've covered just about everything that can possibly be covered regarding ICAO <laughs> and civil <laughs> aviation safety. Right. So remember, next time you get on that plane, the reason it's going to be a safe and uneventful trip because ICAO has made it that way. There we go. And uh, well, that's right. And yeah, so share this podcast with friends so that we can all be more aware of civil aviation and the degree to which we can thank ICAO for our uh, successful flights and that we don't all applaud when the uh, aircraft land. Um, thank you, Brent. Well, I appreciate your uh, expertise as always. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to, uh, to talk with you folks. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, a, a big fan of your of your podcast, and I'm sure that uh, uh, you'll you'll get more followers as time goes on. Uh, well, thank you. And uh, we will uh, will uh, you always have more uh, expertise than than we have time for. So maybe some other time in the future you can join us again. But we appreciate your time tonight. And uh, Join us again next podcast, um, and we'll talk to you then. Yeah. Yeah.